The reading this morning is from Mark, chapter 14, verses 12 through 25. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare you for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room? Where may I, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it, just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Reading God's word. Thank you. Well, as we continue to move our way through the Gospel of Mark, now closing in here on the last day of Jesus' life, we're on Thursday of this Passion Week, it struck me as I was preparing this and thinking about this of how you know my expectations of uh, of life this winter have really shifted because I you know I've been really bummed that it's sort of normal temperatures this week for early March, but I, it feels to me like somehow I've been gypped because we have we have actual winter for uh, this week, and uh, and then I saw that we might actually we've had no if you're visiting we've had no snow no cancellations no seems totally unfair um, you know school's been in every hour every day and then it looks like we may get snow Monday night Tuesday and I'm thinking. The first, they should just cancel it now because our expectations have shifted to the point that, you know, last year we had three feet of snow. If we had like an inch, they, you know, they may, may not. But with nothing, now our expectations are such the first sign of a snowflake, you know they're canceling, right? Monday night, you just count on it if there's anything because your expectations shift when your circumstances shift and they shift remarkably fast. This morning, Jesus is going to show us how he's going to shift expectations of a meal that was celebrated for so long, celebrating one of the major feasts of the Jews, the Passover meal, and today he's going to shift this for all time to remind us of what it points to. Before we get to that, let's look, because there are three stories delivered here today. Sarah read the first two of those stories. So if you have your Bible, I'll invite you to open to Mark 14, 
beginning at verse 12. The first part of this story is Jesus preparing the Passover. And as a, as a young person, I thought this was one of the cool stories because it sort of was Jesus in superpower mode in my mind when I was a little kid, is that he told them, all right, this is what's going to happen when you go to Jerusalem. You're going to see a guy carrying a water you know, jar, and you just say to him, the teacher needs the room. It seemed very kind of, I don't know, cool to me. Um, you know, and, they, and the, this guy, oh, the teacher needs the room. And so just, there, there's a room ready upstairs. And so, you know, you'll find the room prepared. And, oh, wow, I just, you know, uh, there, there it might have been supernatural wisdom. He may have just set it up. I, I, I've learned since that men didn't really carry water in that culture. It just wasn't something they did. So a man carrying a water pot would have actually stood out somewhat. Um, and maybe it was supernatural knowledge, but maybe he had just set up beforehand. The point of this is that in during the Passover time in Jerusalem, there was Jerusalem, you had to celebrate Passover in the city. city itself, the old city, is not very large. And all these people coming, they expanded the official part of Jerusalem for that so you could obey the law and celebrate Passover within the walls of Jerusalem. But finding a spot, like finding a hotel room for a tech game, is very hard, right, on the big game. So you had to make your plans early. Jesus prepared, and he knew what to expect. Now, whether there was supernatural foreknowledge or not, it's not clear, but Jesus knows what's coming. The second part of the story echoes this theme because he's going to turn during the Last Supper, and he's going to tell them one of them is going to betray him. That is, we know that the only way he would know that was a word of knowledge from the Father. And then thirdly, the last part of this that Sarah didn't read uh, is the uh, famous story of the Apostle Peter who declares he's not going to deny Jesus. He'll stand firm. We know how long that lasts, about a day. And Jesus knows supernaturally that Peter is not, that he's going to deny him. So we hold these three uh, p- stories together, and what we know is Jesus knows what's coming. He's in control. He's aware, even though it's going to be the most difficult days of his life on earth, that human body that he was in. So I want to specifically look at the Last Supper, this thing we know. Some people call it the Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving in Greek. Some people call it other names, Holy Communion, uh, Last Supper. But uh, I want to look specifically at what Jesus said and what this meal was like. When this is part of the Passover celebration, Passover being the celebration of, you know, Egypt, right? They left Egypt in slavery back under, under Moses. And so the supernatural release of the Hebrew people is celebrated in Passover, and it commemorates that the angel of death passed over the Hebrews when the blood of a lamb was put on the doorposts. And so each year, Jews were required, one of the three major feasts that they were required to celebrate was this Passover feast. And and the Passover week, it's an entire week of celebration surrounding a reminder of the Exodus. So if that's unfamiliar to you, you've got to know that to get some of the symbolism of this. You can sometimes see in pictures or in people presenting on in, in drama the uh, Lord's Supper, there can sometimes come in this whole idea of it's kind of like a, a goodbye love feast. Like they're all the disciples, oh, we've been together for three years, we'll miss you, Jesus. Um, you know, this, they, uh, this, this is much more like an awkward family dinner 
where someone says something and the, the elephant in the room where somebody says something and, and everybody goes, why did you bring that topic up? You know, I didn't vote for him. You know, and so everybody's like, oh, this is what it's like. Okay, look at the very first sentence. Let's not, let's not do anything but what the scripture tells us here in, in uh, Mark's recollection as he recounts this. So we're looking at uh, verse 17. When it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, here's his opening statement, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Well, that's an elephant in the room, right? Boom! Could you pass the matzo? One of you will betray me. They're like, so everyone's looking, what do you do with that? One of you here. In that culture, to eat together was not simply, uh, uh, you know, time at a restaurant. There was an implied fellowship, a loyalty, if you were embracing someone, and still to this day in Middle Eastern culture, if someone comes into your table, there's you, you to betray them is the ultimate treachery because they're offering you hospitality, you eating together, and then on top of that, this is the Sabbath meal celebrated at Passover. This is the Passover dinner. And he announces, one of you here is going to betray me. Look at the disciples' response. Quite interesting. Probably would have been my response as well. They were They began to be sorrowful. Glad for that, I guess. And they say to him, one after another, is it I? The way the Greek reads there is it's a, it's a, it's a negative, implied negative, which meaning it's not I, is it? It's not me, is it? It's interesting, nobody said, Jesus, that's awful that somebody's going to betray you. That must be a terrible situation. What are they saying? Not me, is it? I mean, maybe it implies they thought they could do it, but, but they want, not me, not me, maybe it's him. They all go around saying, it's, it's, it's not me. It's not me. It's not me, is it? This all points to something that, again, like our expectations being shifted with weather, Jesus is about to shift and lower the boom on the expectations of what's about to happen for this meal for all time. As the Exodus was a celebration, this meal, a celebration of that taking out, Moses leading people out. It's essentially what Jesus is going to do here is say, look, this bread, it's my body. And just like Moses led you out of slavery, through this, my body, I'm going to lead you out of the ultimate slavery. Because ultimately, Guys in this room, your problem is not, and I mean this room as well as that room, our problem is ultimately not being in bondage or enslaved economically or certainly not in this culture. It's not being enslaved in any cultural sense. It's that we all are enslaved by sin. We've got this problem. We're going to die. And that death is not this physical, it's going to be separation from God. And the Bible lays out that that's the ultimate bondage. And Jesus says, what you really need is not being saved from oppression from without, but oppression from within, from that sin nature. And I'm the ultimate Moses, and I'm going to lead you out. 
They didn't understand yet. Clearly, they didn't understand this whole idea of Jesus substituting of death and what we see from a distance. They weren't there yet, but he's trying to point them through this sacrifice to something bigger. And see that he says, this isn't take this bread and observe it. He said, take this bread and what? Eat it. Oh, by the way, you're eating my body. And this wine, drink it. It's my blood. For a Jew, drinking blood, that's really, would have really stood out to them. For us, culturally, we've kind of come in a different place, but this is, this would totally be, you didn't drink blood. You didn't do this. This was something that would have really gotten their attention. I'm going to go back. I know, you know, we've been doing Mark for six months, but you, we've got to see what Mark is trying to point us to because there's a puzzle here, and it's the bread puzzle of Mark. I'm going to quickly go through because in different sermons at different times, we've pointed these out, but let me just kind of try to wrap them all up together because in a Passover meal now, a, uh, the, the patriarch would, the head of the family patriarch would say, Blessed art thou, O Lord God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And it would be this Passover celebration of bread. And Jesus says, This is now my body. This represents me. This prophetic language of, uh, this now stands for something different than it did before. Back in Mark 6, In verse 41, he takes five loaves when he's got a huge crowd of people, right? And it says, he takes the loaf of bread and he broke it and he gives thanks and he distributes it to his disciples who distribute it to hungry people. And all of a sudden, people who were hungry and lost are fed and nourished. Disciples who couldn't understand that that was even possible all of a sudden distribute bread Just after that, a few verses in verse 50, he walks on water, and they're very afraid, understandably, and he says, take courage, it is I, and says they were amazed in their fear of this. And in verse 51 and 52, the Bible says this, the reason they were amazed and and afraid is that they didn't understand about the bread that had happened before. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see what Mark is pointing us to? In verse, in Mark 8, he takes seven loaves of bread and it says in Mark 8, verse 4, where in this remote desert are we ever going to feed all these people? And he says, I've got seven loaves of bread and we have now 4,000 people. It says, I lifted up the bread. He broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, feed them with this. I've blessed it. I've laid my hands on it. And now there's bread for many in the wilderness where there's nothing growing. I've provided for them. Just after that, seven verses later, Mark eight fourteen, the disciples say they got in the boat and they forgot to bring bread. And they were all debating among themselves, who left the bread? And Mark makes this comment, they had forgotten there was one loaf sitting in the boat. We talked before, it's probably not bread Mark's referring to, wheat bread. It's there was one loaf sitting in the back of the boat. Because Jesus then turns as they're arguing over bread, and he says, be careful, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. 
And they say, what is he talking about? It's because we don't have any bread. And Jesus says, why are you talking about bread? Verse 18, he says, your hearts are hard. You don't see. You don't understand. You don't have eyes to see. You don't have ears to hear. You don't remember. When I picked up the five loaves, how many baskets full were left? They said 12. When I broke seven loaves for 4,000, how many baskets full? Seven. He says, don't you understand? This is all about the bread. The disciples go, who forgot the bread? So now here he is again, and he takes a loaf, the one loaf of the Passover meal, and he breaks it, and he said, now it's all about the bread. This is my body, and it is broken for you. It's not broken for the world. It's broken for you. Let's remember something here. Where did we begin in these three stories? Judas the betrayer had just gone out and decided with the chief priests to betray Christ to his death. And he walks back into the Passover meal and Jesus breaks the bread and he says, it's broken for you. And Jesus knew it. It's clear in Scripture that Jesus knew. The betrayer sits at the table And this ends with the denier who's going to, in a few hours, say, Jesus, I've never heard of the man. I don't know who you're talking about. And he starts to curse and say, I don't know Jesus. And Jesus knew that was coming and he breaks the bread and he says, this is for you, betrayer. This is for you, denier. My body broken for you. This morning, it's the call. This is for you and me, failures and addicts and selfish people and people that need grace. It's broken for you. This Passover meal is a family meal. It is always celebrated in the Passover celebrations from the time of the first Passover in Exodus by families, blood families and extended families. And now Jesus reinterprets it again. And He takes people, only a few of whom, a few brothers in the midst, but they were basically unrelated by blood. And He says, this is no longer about our common belief systems or our common bloodlines or our ethnicities or anything else. He says, this is about people who might be natural enemies, tax collectors, and failures and betrayers and deniers sitting together And if you will receive me to yourself, you can become a family again. But centered not around anything but our common knowledge that Jesus Christ loves us and died for us. I've always been amazed hearing the story of Noah's Ark how the predator and prey didn't eat each other for 40 days. And I wonder that in close quarters... God can change our natures. That those of us who might not naturally be hanging out together, we become brothers and sisters with this common faith. Ultimately, this is about a covenant promise, God to us, unilateral. 
He says, I extend myself to you. Now, do we have to respond? Absolutely. Repentance and faith are required. Judas obviously didn't show that. But the offer goes out to all freely. People who come to receive Christ are ones who know they need Christ, not the ones who are too already worthy, because none of us are. We're going to take communion this morning, quite appropriately. Here's what the Lord says, I think, through the Gospel of Mark. Come to the table. I welcome anyone who needs me here. Whatever bad things you've done, thought, whatever, bring it to the table if you know you need me. If you're willing to lay it down and not let it come between us. I am far more committed to you, the Lord says, than you are to me. What we're banking on this morning is not your faith being good enough to come here this morning. It's that you know that His commitment to you is absolute. His death for you, His substitution for you is complete. And if you are willing to embrace that and receive that, you are welcome at the table. Not just on Sunday mornings, not in the just celebration, but you are welcome to take the bread of life every day. Are we... Wicked and evil, yeah. But don't swim in that badness. Swim in the goodness of God. Because His goodness is a lot better than your badness. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank You that the Gospel didn't just rescue me once, but it rescues me daily. That I need Your grace and I need an infusion of Your life, Lord, every day. I thank You that when You reinterpreted the Sabbath, excuse me, the Passover meal, Lord, You were telling us something so important that it's about the bread, Lord. It's about the one loaf. It's about the true life because that is what really we need to satisfy. We know You said that man can't live by bread alone talking about physical bread, but we do live ultimately by the bread of heaven. And so, Lord, we remember what you taught us. We remember what you said, that on the night you were betrayed, you took bread. When you given thanks, you gave it to your disciples. And you said, take and eat this. This is my body, which is broken for you. When you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And then after supper, you took a cup of wine. And when you'd given thanks, you gave it to them. And you said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We eat this bread and drink this wine, proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes. Lord, and for those of us who stand in faith, we believe ultimately that it's Your standing in our place, Lord, that gives us all that we need to be right with You.